1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me again, as always, it's my guy, Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Kyle, how did you enjoy the preseason opener, a thrilling 17-9 victory over the Dallas Cowboys?
2: Yeah, I know that, that we talked a lot about how Kyle Shanahan didn't even want to play the game and da, da 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 but what it did me was it gave me an excuse to sit inside beating the Heat for four hours.
1: <laughs> I'm really glad you finally got to beat the Heat yeah. <laughs> in Sacramento. It's warm in Sacramento, isn't it, this time of year?
2: It's extremely warm. I was actually down in the Bay Area uh, hanging out with my folks just the way uh, the way yesterday went. But, no, it was good to... To just kind of be back in the swing of that, you know, sitting down at the computer, taking notes throughout a game, um, seeing some of these players in action, especially guys like Jalen Hurd and Debo Samuel, who we're going to talk about. It was it was it was at least a little bit interesting. And we nearly had overtime, which I had multiple texts ready to send to you if it went to overtime because I knew you were rooting hard for it.
1: I might have blocked your number from my phone <laughs> if you sent me a text after they went to overtime.
2: I was so ready for it. (laughs) That Dante Johnson
1: penalty at the end was like the most brutal thing.
2: It wasn't even a penalty, man. It was good coverage. Yeah.
1: You you can't, you can't just, just wall the guy off like that. Like you can't cut him off. That's a rule, but it also didn't have to be a flag. It was just terrible all around. Like the ref could have just decided not to throw the flag and nobody would have cared. Maybe like two people on the Cowboys sideline would have cared, but to be in the position to potentially go to overtime in the first preseason game is just totally ridiculous.
2: But thankfully, Jason Garrett Garrett cared so much that he threw a challenge flag and then laughed while they were reviewing it. Jason Garrett probably would have been that wasn't that wasn't that call, but the earlier call in the game.
1: But no, Jason Garrett, I could totally see him being the head coach who would who would go for two to get it to overtime in the first preseason game
2: he's coaching for his job absolutely
1: <laughs> oh man can you imagine jerry jones being like yeah i i really i really wanted to give you a new contract but i that that first preseason game the way that thing ended is still just sticking in my craw <laughs> anyway the niners won the preseason opener of course 17 to 9 Uh, The big story coming out of the game, obviously, is Jalen Hurd, the rookie third round pick, the receiver. He had two touchdowns, two pretty impressive touchdowns, one from Nick Mullins, one from C.J. Beathard. Um, The defense played well enough to keep the Cowboys out of the end zone, although I wasn't overly impressed with uh, with the Cowboys backup quarterbacks. Um, But not a big Cooper Rush guy. I'm not a big Cooper Rush guy. Not a big hmm. Mike White guy either. Uh, Interesting. Wasn't super okay. impressed with what he brought to the table. We um, differ there, then. <laughs> no, but but the big story coming out of the game, or at least the, the big story going into the game, I should say, was that Kyle Shanahan decided to sit 28 players, 28 guys that um, we were we had an idea that like a lot of them weren't going to play, but I think even fewer players played than we than we were even expecting and it was just basically kyle shanahan telling the entire world this is just a very stupid exercise and i'm not even going to risk uh risk any of my key players you know getting hurt and turns out the 49ers still had injuries uh sean coleman their swing tackle who was starting at left tackle in place of joe staley obviously broke his fibula uh, and dislocated his ankle he had Uh, I think it was one or two guys falling his ankle and it just completely went the wrong way. And um, just a terrible injury. He's obviously done for the year. He had surgery Sunday morning. Uh, Sean Coleman is, he's not a very well-known player, but um, he's a guy who who overcame leukemia when he was 18 to to make it in the NFL. And it was actually a story I wanted to write a little bit about last year, but um, it was, you know, he didn't really want to talk about it at all. And and it's tough to it's tough to put a story together when the main subject doesn't want to go on the record and talk about something like that. But it was mostly because he didn't really want any attention. Uh, he had just been traded to the team. He was trying to sort of earn his keep and and didn't really want to draw any attention to himself. And so um, he's widely regarded, you know, in the locker room as a really good dude. He's a quiet guy, not somebody who's overly vocal. Just sort of goes about his work without without drawing too much attention, but it's, this is brutal both for Coleman and the 49ers because now the 49ers are probably going to end up searching outside the organization for their swing tackle. And, and we asked Kyle Shanahan on a conference call about it today. Um, you know, is Gary Gilliam going to be a possibility? He was on the roster the last two seasons, played sparingly. Not a particularly good player, but it's it's hard to find a an offensive tackle who's worth his salt in the league. Uh, off the street in in early August it's normally a position you have to draft obviously or pay very highly in free agency Um, and the 49ers used a six-round pick on Justin School who still looks like he has some serious development to do before they would ever feel comfortable having him in the starting lineup if something were to happen to Joe Staley or Mike McClinchey so the Sean Coleman injury is pretty brutal for the 49ers right now um particularly given the fact that they really wanted nothing to do with this first preseason game, evident by Kyle Shanahan deciding to sit 28 guys.
2: Well, and then something that dropped during the game, I don't know if you want to touch on this now, but uh, was the news that Trent Taylor was hurt in practice Thursday and had surgery on Friday, and that was completely unbeknownst to everybody until 49ers color commentator tim ryan started talking about it on the tv broadcast that was not only a strange way for news to break but it was also that's kind of a significant injury to the uh, 49ers receiving core that uh hasn't been great this this preseason
1: yeah there's i mean i i don't i don't necessarily need to get into the the issues that we had as as beat writers in terms of how the news broke yeah but the fact that Kyle Shanahan has spent the better part of the last week sort of publicly, I don't want to say reprimanding, but just, just saying that two writers and, and, you know, cameras, he needs a whole lot more from the receiving core and the young guys and the veterans, uh, and then having Trent Taylor, who's been probably the most consistent and the most targeted receiver in, in crucial situations from, from Jimmy Garoppolo during training camp, uh, it, this is it's it's a bad injury. and the forty ers the, these things are really starting to pile up for them, whether it's, you know, Nick Bosa, D Ford, uh, Jarek McKinnon, and now Trent Taylor, it's really an inopportune time to to have this injury because you're really trying to get Jimmy Garoppolo comfortable and back in a rhythm heading into the regular season, knowing that his preseason reps are going to be super limited, obviously coming off the ACL tear. And Trent Taylor is more or less Jimmy Garoppolo's security blanket. So you're going to be going into the season wondering when Trent Taylor is going to be available. If he does return to practice before week one, which is doubtful, it's a four to six week injury. So let's say that it's a four to six week injury. And the injury happened almost exactly four weeks ahead of this, uh, ahead of week one. Mm-hmm. So there's a pretty good chance that, that Trent Taylor isn't going to be available for that week one game in Tampa. And so you wonder if this is going to be a similar situation to the way the 49ers sort of struggled without Jarek McKinnon last year because McKinnon was such an important part of what they were going to do schematically and on third down and things like that, that I think it was a significant reason why Jimmy Garoppolo struggled early in the season. This is happening a lot earlier. That that McKinnon yeah. injury was a week before week one. This Trent Taylor injury is, is a month before week one. So the 49ers are going to have to, they're going to have some time to adjust. And it makes you wonder if they're going to have to change some numbers in terms of the way they construct the 53-man roster during final cuts. And I actually did a 53-man roster projection today for the SAC B in that one of the important things I had to do was was give the forty nine or seven receivers, which isn't something I was planning on doing if if Taylor were healthy. So one one of the things I did was I had Richie James making the team, and obviously you have to you have to find that roster spot elsewhere. So you, you have to go light on or lighter on another position. So. I mean, Trent Taylor has been really good during training camp and, and his the the way he's looked has been one of the most promising stories for the offense aside from Jimmy Garoppolo just looking like he's not Im- affected too, too heavily by that knee injury. The fact that Trent Taylor is back looking like the player he was in 2017 and maybe even a better version of that, losing him now for four to six weeks before the season starts is pretty brutal. But on the other hand, if, if there's a silver lining – it's that you know at worst you you miss you miss him for the first 2 weeks and then you get him back in week 3 with a chance to play right. 14 games going forward
2: yeah and the big the big question i had when the news first broke that he was hurt was whether they were going to put him on ir like that that could have been a significant issue for them as far as roster construction went because if taylor was going to be out let's say they thought he was going to be out like 5 weeks and then, you know, there's a couple of weeks there where he's got to try and get his legs kind of back under him and and get back up to game speed. If he goes on IR, he has to miss a minimum of eight weeks anyways. So there was going to be a real decision there, but luckily it sounds like he's going to be back pretty early in the season, possibly week one, which I think if you're going to have an injury happened, that's kind of a best case scenario where he's only going to miss a game or two.
1: Yeah, they're not going to have to put him on injured reserve. But now that you you do have this extra roster spot that you might need to use to find a Trent Taylor replacement in Richie James, then you might be more inclined to start Jarek McKinnon on injured reserve because roster spots are at more of a premium now. So McKinnon is dealing with soreness in his knee coming off that ACL tear. Um, he practiced for two days and then was shut down to get platelet-rich plasma injection therapy into his knee. And the 49ers were going to give him two weeks off, hope, hopefully, he, you know, hoping he, recruit, he recoups. And then there would be 18 days before the regular season opener for him to get right. 18 days feels like a very short amount of time for a running back who hasn't played in a year to get back up to speed in time to play and have right. a prominent role. So now if I'm the 49ers, I'm taking a hard look at starting him on IR because you do get that extra roster spot available to you and it gives you an opportunity to get McKinnon back to 100% and maybe he would be a little bit more durable later in the season if his knee had more time to recover and he had more time to rehab it and do everything else you need to coming off that injury. So I I do think that's you know Taylor's injury sort of – adds a little bit more fuel to that idea. And, you know, I I mentioned it, I I forget exactly when it was, but um, McKinnon starting the season on IR, sort of, I mean, I think it's kind of a good idea at this point because, you know, having four halfbacks is obviously – not not a bad way to go about things just given the way the 49ers dealt with injuries at halfback last year mm-hmm. but if you if you just go with three and say you have Tevin Coleman who's been pretty durable throughout his career Matt Breida has been durable uh, I know he had those ankle injuries last year but he was also the starting running back with with a heavy workload and he still did play through a lot of those injuries he only missed two games I think um, you get him back as a backup working behind Coleman. And then you should be, I mean, knock on wood, if you're the 49ers, you should be good to get you through the first half of the season just in terms of running the ball and things like that. Then to get McKinnon back halfway through the year to get a better version of himself who's more rested and more healthy, that could really propel you during the stretch run. And if you happen to make the playoffs, you only have eight games of wear and tear on McKinnon going into January rather than a full 16 games worth of wear and tear on him. So that could be a benefit as well
2: yeah definitely the just sticking with injuries shanahan tried as you mentioned super hard to not have anybody uh I, for lack of a better term uh any any anybody who's expected to be a major contributor this year obviously didn't want anybody to get hurt because he sat like 30 guys but the 49ers still had several injuries um dj no dj jones hurt his knee he's weak to weak Najee toran hurt his hand. Uh, Marcel Harris left early with a stinger. They should both be fine. Uh, Jimmy Ward, he's going to have an x-ray to see if he can get back in practice this week after breaking his collarbone. And then Elijah Lee, he had surgery on his thumb and he's going to be out a couple weeks. Do you think this changes the way Kyle Shanahan is going to approach the preseason at all? Like if he had a plan, do you think it got thrown off at all by how many injuries they they had happen in, in the first preseason game? I don't know.
1: We we've sort of tiptoed around that topic in, in you know the last couple of times we've talked to him, and and he's basically said he he doesn't really know exactly how he's going to approach things. I know the 49ers have sort of circled these two practices they're going to have against the Denver Broncos in Denver uh, Friday and Saturday before the before the Monday night game is sort of. I think the apex of training camp. Uh, I know, you know, I asked Shanahan last week about his value of the preseason, and and he said, you know, he really just wishes he he would prefer zero games to four, and he looks at what happens on the practice field as a whole lot more important. And I think the joint practices against the Broncos, where it's a controlled environment, uh, but I still, I, I think that was those two practices were really going to be the most important practices of August. And if you listen to Kyle Shanahan, the fact that He values practice so much more than 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 preseason games. And I think those who practice his had even more importance. So you wonder now, given the injuries that the 49ers are dealing with, if he is going to dial that back. And then, you know, you wonder, are some of these guys on the back end of the roster competing for spots? Are they going to be at risk of injury? Because they're going to be playing pretty intense reps Thursday or Friday and Saturday and then again on Monday. Um, it's just a tough spot for the 49ers to be in. And I think it's really probably underscores the big issue that teams all over the league have with the preseason. Like when the 49ers go to Denver, they're going to have those two practices and then they're going to have three preseason games in a, in a span of 10 days. So, you know, Kyle Shanahan's not playing 28 guys makes plenty of sense. And, and I would think now that he's more inclined to keep guys on the sideline. The problem is is you're going to have guys on the back end of this roster just getting completely worn down because you you have such a short turnaround between these games and these guys are going to get high volumes of reps. And now you wonder if because of that, that they're going to dial back the intensity of these practices against Denver. And then ultimately, how much is that going to impact the development of the team? Because you were planning on those practices sort of being the apex of your August.
2: Right. That's where... That's what I'm, it's like, it's a no win situation. Like, how do you do that as a coach? Like, do you just start cutting some of the back end of the roster guys and bringing in fresh bodies so they can play 90 plus snaps over, over, or not 90 plus, but like 75 plus snaps over the course of the final three preseason games or final two preseason games. Like this, this is, this is where when coaches complain about the length of the preseason, this is, this is where it's really hard to find a logical argument against their, their complaint. Right. Like
1: they they really does, just doesn't need to be any preseason.
2: Like what happens, what happens, you, what happens if the Niners come out? Like, let's say Garoppolo plays a series in week two, the starters play a series, maybe two in, in the second preseason game. Then the third preseason game, they come out and just like take knees, <laughs> like take knees I, and I punt. You're not talking about during the Anthem, right? Right.
1: <laughs> Um no. no I mean that, that's a good question. I mean they they could because there's there's no way to play football in a way that you're sort of like for lack of a better term punting on each play, right? Like
2: the, the like pro you, you could say oh
1: we're we're going to run the ball to protect our quarterback. Well poor Austin Walter is is going to be dead by the time September comes around.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Like they they signed they signed Brandon Wilds five hours before the game on Saturday and he ended up playing and getting a bunch of carries. It's like this, is this whole thing is ridiculous. And I don't want to harp on the idea, you know, continue snaps. to harp on the idea that like the preseason's stupid, I think it's well established that the preseason is stupid, but this is just, this sort of goes to show like why coaches hate it. And just the schedule of this whole thing is, is just a little bit crazy. And I would think when the new CBA is up in a couple seasons that
2: we're going to see some pretty drastic changes. Uh, Why don't we take a quick break? Sounds like a good idea, Chris. Because football season's here, people. It's time to start placing your bets for NFL and college football. Blue Wire is teaming up with sports information traders and the legend, John Price. The one and only. One of the world's most successful sports bettors. So our listeners are given the chance to make more money on football this season. Man, that sounds great to me. Go to sportsinformationtraders.com slash blue and get the college football and NFL futures plays and make up to 15 times your money for only a $99 investment. That's a lot of math I'm not going to do, but I know 15 times 99 is a lot of money. Last year, sports information traders correctly predicted the Clemson Tigers to win the college football championship making one client alone $110,000. That's right. If you're going to bet on college football, pick the best team. The year before that, Kurt Presley of Sports Information Traders made a million dollars with a preseason wager on the Philadelphia Eagles to win the Super Bowl. Find the team with the most talented roster in the NFL. Pick them. It's a good strategy. Can't blame Sports Information Traders for that one. John Price and the Sports Information Traders can guide you on the best ways to make money on futures bets and preseason football betting picks futures bets are where it's at i love a good futures bet i can't wait to check out sportsinformationtraders.com you get all of that for just 99 dollars, and the opportunity to make 15 times your money we already talked about that that's so much money it's totally worth getting sports information traders betting picks sports information traders has been featured in espn gambling 911.com entrepreneur magazine and many many more John Price has been successfully making money betting on sports for over 20 years, make a big return for a small investment with Sports Information Traders Futures Picks. Get started now by going to sportsinformationtraders.com/blue. That's B L U E. Again, make sure you go to sportsinformationtraders.com/blue to have your chance at a 15 times return this football betting season.
1: All right, so let's let's go back to Saturday night and, and talk about what actually did happen on the field, uh, which, you know, I think has has less significant ramifications on sort of the 49ers as a whole, but there were some interesting things that happened nonetheless. Um, I, I think we have to start with Jalen Hurd. Yeah. The the third round pick, um, two touchdowns, showing off his, his size, his physicality. Uh, really, what we've been seeing on the practice field for, for the be- better part of the last week, uh, he got off to a really slow start in training camp and and he wasn't really a, a prominent piece of, of the passing game at all. He even began camp sort of, you know, the, the coaching staff limited to running plays so he could work on his blocking. And, and, you know, when when that happens, you it's hard to think highly of a player who was drafted in round three, particularly as a receiver as somebody who's who's going to be a prominent piece of the offense when the regular season starts, but it's been sort of a quick a quick descent for or a quick ascent I should say for for Hurd in, in terms of his fit in the offense and and it just shows that you know I think he's a smart guy um, I I think he he's adapting to the offense well I think he's learning his responsibilities and if he continues on this trajectory, particularly now that Trent Taylor is going to be out, he's going to have more of an opportunity to to win time in the slot. He could give the 49ers offense a dynamic it's lacked in the last couple of seasons since Kyle Shanahan since Kyle Shanahan became the head coach because he has the size and the physicality uh that really the offense hasn't hasn't seen before.
2: Yeah, and it was it was really His running back roots really shined on that first touchdown. I think he caught the ball at like the 10 and looked like he had a clear path to the corner of the end zone to go in untouched, but instead seeked out contact at the goal line, ran through a defender. And not only did did he get open on the crossing route, he made the catch, he got into the end zone, but I think he showed a little bit of his value as a short yardage back on that play too. And so it wouldn't surprise me to see the Niners use him a little more in that situation this year, but you you hit the nail on the head. He showed all the things that I think he needed to show in week one of the preseason. Like We know he's not a refined receiver yet. That was a given, but he's physical. He can do that in the NFL, and he uses his size really well uh, for a guy who just started playing receiver. That back shoulder fade uh, was really nice. It was a good throw by Bethard. ton of credit there, and Hurd did everything a receiver is supposed to do in that situation. He went up over the defensive back. He made the catch. He got two feet in. So the little things that you needed to see from Jalen Hurd were there. There's plenty of polish left, and, and I'm sure he'll get there. But early on, I, I think the 49ers have to be have to be a, a little bit excited. I know Shanahan hasn't been publicly very complimentary of the receiving core, but they got to be a little excited about what they saw from uh, from the third round pick.
1: Yeah, what, what we knew about Hurd was that he would benefit greatly from being in Kyle Shanahan's offense. And I think there really isn't a play more emblematic of, of Shanahan's ability to get guys open than that play-action bootleg crossing route that we even saw Debo Samuel benefit from. He was really open the whole play. I think it was in the third quarter uh, where he had a similar play going to the other side of the field. But her just just being in that role, being able to get him the ball in space where he is really good with the ball in his hands after the catch, he is really physical. We talked to him after the game and he said, you know, he's up to well over 230 pounds now. And I think he he joined the 49ers at roughly 225. Um, and it sounds like he's open to continuing to put on weight. And, you know, 225 is is really heavy for a receiver. 230 makes you like really, really difficult to tackle by defensive backs. And you know he he basically dump trucked a 223-bound safety to, to get into the end zone on that play. So like I said, I mean, the 49ers have been known for having smallish receivers since Kyle Shanahan became coach. And now this gives them a completely different dynamic. But we should say this wasn't against a starting defense. Um, I would imagine during the regular season, teams are going to have a, a much better game plan in terms of how they're going to approach the signature plays in Shanahan's offense. Um, because, you know, I think that's that's basically like the staple play that people think of is like play action, outside zone run, uh, the quarterback booting the other way, and then having multiple options, a short option, a mid option, and a deep option running crossing routes, and Hurd was wide open. So I, I don't know that that's necessarily going to be there for him like it was in that game during the regular season, but the fact that he could do it, and the fact that, really, he's been playing football regularly for just about two weeks after missing the offseason program with the knee injury, I think that's really promising. And it comes at a good time, like we said, because of Taylor's injury. Uh, I do want to talk about Debo Samuel, too, because, um, you know, the deep route that he caught was, you know, m- making a, an acrobatic catch with a hand in your face with pretty good coverage, um, jumping up to high point the ball, showing off your speed and your ball skills and things like that. Uh, I mean, that's why you draft a receiver in the second round, you draft him to make plays like that. Uh, I I figure that Samuel is going to be a a very important part of of what the 49ers are trying to build going forward. So the fact that, you know, he played in the SEC, he's obviously had a lot of big, big games in college before he had a huge game against Clemson, albeit a a blowout uh, while he was at South Carolina. But I mean, it's he's not afraid, you know, and like, this, this is – that that might be uh, an oversimplification or, or maybe a cliche or whatever, but that the fact that, you know, he's willing to go over the middle, he makes tough contested catches in traffic. We've seen him do that in training camp. We've obviously seen him do it in college. Um, that's also sort of unique to, to the 49ers offense uh, in terms of what we've seen from them the last couple of years. And so, you know, him taking that reverse and going 14 yards in the third quarter um, – you know, I think you have to be excited about what you saw from DeBo Samuel with the obvious caveat that yeah, it's week 1 of the preseason. He should be one of the most talented players on the field as a as a highly drafted second round pick, so he should stand out that way. Um but you know, the 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 baseline for him just talent-wise and and how he fits in the offense is certainly there and I think he has a really high ceiling.
2: Yeah, I think so too. And and to your point about about week 1 of the preseason, we're not saying that Jalen Hurd and Debo Samuel are both going to be pro bowlers, but there's like hurdles and steps and benchmarks you want them to hit. And they're they're hitting those benchmarks. Like they did the stuff that they needed to do in week one of the preseason, and now there's growth to come beyond that. And what we saw from Samuel, so much of the focus on him after the Niners drafted him was what he can do with the ball in his hands. You know, he averaged thirty-one yards per catch on slants, and he's he's a he's a bully after the catch. And look at all this stuff he can do in the short passing game. But a lot of what he can do down the field got overlooked too. And I think he showed that. His first catch was a 16 yard diving catch along the sideline. You mentioned the the leaping grab he had over the over the defensive back in traffic. And then his first touch of the game was that really explosive 14 yard carry on the end around. He showed off all of his skills last night. And he showed it off in, in an NFL game. It was week one of the preseason. So, you know, take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. But um, I, I find it hard to really complain about anything that, that Samuel did last night from a production standpoint. I think he, he showed everything that that he needed to show.
1: Yeah, and and one thing about Hurd too that Kyle Shanahan said today on the on the conference call, uh, CJ Beathard's interception. I, I think it was in the third quarter on that on that crossing route. Shanahan said Hurd specifically needed to get in front of the defender and make that play, and he, he criticized Hurd for for hesitating slightly and allowing the, the, the defender to get leverage on him and, and make that interception over the middle. And it's Hurd heard's job to cross his face and sort of box him out and get better positions. So, you know, that aggressive throw on third and seven or whatever it was has a better chance of, you know, e- even if her doesn't make the completion, at least it goes incomplete rather than getting picked off. Um, so there were things like that. And, and I guess that, that sort of leads into what I wrote about today and just, this conversation that Kyle Shanahan has been having about the receivers is that, you know, he's, he, he liked what he saw from Hurd and Samuel on those, you know, particular splash plays we're talking about, but you know, Samuel did only have two catches and, and Hurd only had three. Um, so, you know, three for 31 yards with 20 of them coming on the, on the one touchdown. Um, Shanahan just needs to see more from these receivers. And I think it starts with Dante Pettis and, and, mm-hmm. You know, we talk about Dante Pettis in sort of the same way we talk about George Kittle heading into his second season, and Kittle obviously had, you know, probably the best case scenario for his second season, setting a record for tight ends and, you know, with almost 1,400 yards and all that, and a lot of people thought, okay, well, Dante Pettis might take a similar step in his second season. I think we're starting to realize that that's probably unrealistic and that Pettis, for whatever reason isn't approaching his second season the same way that Kittle did. And I don't know if that's a mentality thing, if, you know, the knocks on his physicality, if those are really going to be maybe more of a problem than a lot of us anticipate, you know, he, he plays at I think right now he's about 195, which is on the heavy side for him in terms of what he's used to playing at. And he probably could use like 10 or 15 pounds of, you know, more muscle, but would that would that inhibit his his, you know, his top quality, which is his ability to separate? Uh, we don't know. We've seen it throughout training camp is that whenever there's a contested catch or a or, or catch in traffic, you know, he struggles to come down with those. And and he's a player maybe more than any other on the 49ers offense who benefits from Kyle Shanahan's ability to get him open. And Pettis is a very good route runner, but he just lacks that physicality that that you really need at the NFL level to be successful against these physical cornerbacks. So, you know, the fact that Pettis had to play in the preseason opener when a lot of us thought he would he would be the you know de facto number one receiver going into the year, that was wild to me. (laughs) Like Kyle Shanahan hates the preseason, openly says he, he he hates the preseason, sits 28 players. And and Dante Pettis is in there because Pettis hasn't proven that he's earned the right to sit in week one. Yeah, is just like really, really surprising, and so now I want to see if Dante Pettis is going to operate the rest of August with a fire under his ass, or if he's going to be sort of this passive guy who's never going to be more than you know a number two or number three receiver because he doesn't have that physical tenacity that you know that Jalen Hurd and, and Debo Samuel put on display in, in that game.
2: Well, I think that what's even worse is not only did Pettis play, but I had to go back and check to make sure he was like playing. I, I I didn't even realize he was on the field. He was targeted once. He didn't catch it. He was a he was essentially a non factor in a game. He shouldn't he shouldn't have been playing Any he should have been overqualified to play in. and that's mm-hmm. not I, I know that that's not always all on the wide receiver and maybe he was open six times and the ball just never got to him. But like I said, I didn't even notice Pettis was on the field. And that's probably not great in in like I said the preseason opener that he should have been uh, frankly above playing in.
1: Yeah, completely agree. And and Kyle Shanahan basically said like like you know Pettis is sort of the poster boy for this whole conversation about the receivers. Shanahan needs more from him, and he says Dante has a lot of room to grow. Um, so you wonder like is is Pettis's head in the right spot? Is he dealing with something off the field? is, you know, these are the types of scenarios where there's more to the story or there's more than meets the eye. And I'm curious if any of that type of stuff is going to come out or if just this is the type of player that Pettis is right now. Um, He's, you know, sort of a flyweight receiver who is really good at getting open, but might shy away from physicality. Um, And, you know, maybe that's not the worst thing in the world, just given the way the rules are changing in the NFL. And obviously player safety is a huge deal and the rules favor the offense so heavily. So Pettis playing now is probably far more favorable than, than him playing in the nineties. But um, it's going to be interesting to see because a lot of people think that the 49ers are going to take this next step and be a really good offense. One of the league's best offenses, perhaps and Dante Pettis is going to have to be a major part of that. And right now you can't really be that encouraged by the fact that Kyle Shanahan feels compelled to stick him out there in the first preseason game and and he didn't make any catches. And and I, I will say the one time he was targeted, he was open, and there was a I want to say it was a linebacker who was between Nick Mullins and and Pettis, and he jumped up and made a good play to to bat the ball away. So maybe you know maybe we're talking about Pettis differently if he makes that catch and it leads to making a few other plays. But I I think that's that's certainly something to keep an eye on as as we go out as we go on through the preseason.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's it, the receiver battle is. I think maybe the most interesting part of of the rest of the preseason for me. Do you want to talk defense?
1: Is there is there anything we really learned about the defense, given the fact that exactly zero starters played, except for Akela Witherspoon, who might be in the same boat as as Pettis. Though, I'm inclined to think that Witherspoon played just because you know Varret's hurt. They're a little bit thinner at corner, and Witherspoon missed some reps these last few days with a glute injury, and maybe he just. You know, needed to make up some some reps. Um, and let me see how how many snaps he played. I don't. Can think I give was you the many. two things
2: that stuck out to me on on the defensive side? Yeah. One was Dre Greenlaw. He was yep. as good yep. as advertised. He was all over the field. He had a couple of stops in the run game, which was kind of the big concern with him was if he was big enough to play against the run. And he had a couple of good run stops. He made a couple of sure tackles, well, several sure tackles in kick coverage in the run game in pass coverage and there were a couple of other plays where he didn't make the play but he was around the football like 30 yards down the field he was he was all over the place which is what he needed to do and uh and he did it last night Adrian Colbert's performance also stood out to me in all the wrong ways he didn't get into yeah. the game until late and then he only played i think 14 snaps do you have the exact no, number? he played seven snaps. Seven snaps. He played seven snaps and got ejected for an egregious late hit. That's not, it's not what least, he needed. That's really bad. He needed to come in and just have a really sound performance at the end of that game, and he didn't even get to finish because he made a boneheaded play. That's that's a tough look for the, for the former seventh rounder.
1: Yeah, Witherspoon... I mean, he, he entered last year as sort of the unquestioned starter at free safety. He didn't play particularly well. He got hurt, ended the season on injured reserve, and now he's the third string free safety. And you start looking at, at these injuries and how important these roster spots are going to be, like, like we've mentioned, and you wonder if Colbert's going to be on the wrong side of that. And he absolutely hasn't done anything to help himself lately. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fact that Tarverius Moore just sort of comes in and and, you know, maybe maybe Tarverius Moore is going to be an all pro and and we just don't know it yet. But the fact that Tarverius Moore comes in and basically usurps Colbert in the spring after switching positions sort of says a lot about how the team views Colbert and the fact that I mean, this is a guy with starting experience who played at a pretty high level as a rookie and now. He's third string essentially because he's not gonna he's not gonna be above Jimmy Ward or Tavarius more when Jimmy Ward is healthy. So you wonder if the 49ers are gonna look for somebody else in the secondary to, you know, like in in my roster projection, a, 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 to the one I put together today, I had Colbert not making it and I had the 49ers going with Emmanuel Mosley in part because Mosley's one of the few guys on the team who can play both in the slot inside and outside cornerback. Mm-hmm. And with k Williams knee injury that's that could have him in jeopardy of missing week one, then maybe you need that versatility. And Colbert doesn't really give you that versatility anymore uh, as a third free, as a third string free safety and really somebody who only has value to the 49ers on special teams right now. So that's sort of the like the stakes are really high for Adrian Colbert this preseason and the fact that he would, You know, make such an egregious hit and get Mm -hmm. booted from a preseason game is just not a good look because he was going to get so much playing time in that game, and maybe he could have catapulted himself into, you know, he could he could have maybe played really well, forced a turnover, but you take all these opportunities away from yourself when you make a mistake like that. Yep. And just like like running off the field and high fiving all the fans on the way out, it's like, come on, man, like. Yeah, not not a great, not a great scene for sure. Wouldn't it be better to have like a little bit more self-awareness and be a little bit pissed off at yourself for getting kicked out of the game rather than like high fiving everybody on your way out? I mean, it is what it is, but
2: I, I never I never played. So I don't know the I don't know the mindset there, but it looked bad. The optics were bad. If I can, the get optics it. were bad. Yeah. And you
1: know, like it, maybe it's just hard to turn down high fives when people are high fiving. That's a great and, point. You know, That's
2: a really strong, point. whatever.
1: Uh, one other, you, you don't want to be an asshole. <laughs> and the guy who's like not high fiving kids.
2: One other thing, but, one other thing. It, what, did you have more on that? No. One other thing that, that stood out in the worst way was all the penalties last night. Yes. The, <laughs> the 49ers, what, Rob Lauder actually asked this question. And so I, I went and researched it on pro football reference Yes, what the NFL record for penalties was and the record for penalties in a game is 23 set by the Raiders. But the record for yards is 212 set by the Titans in 1999. And the Niners sort of broken that record last night with 216 216. penalty yards, uh, 18 total penalties, and just some some really bad ones late in the game where they're trying to put a drive together to kind of kill the clock and they're getting put in first and 20. And then they'd have a really nice running play. They get called back by by an offensive holding or that get a defensive stop that was called back by pass interference or illegal contact. And it was just it was a bad scene all the way around for for both sides of the ball in that department last night. And C.J. Beathard actually
1: did a pretty good job despite being behind the sticks in a lot of those yeah. plays playing behind that miserable backup offensive line that we've talked about, who you know committed a ton of those penalties I thought he played pretty well and he he got some first downs and in, in you know long yardage situations, which I thought was impressive, albeit against, you know, a bunch of future insurance salesmen in that Cowboys defense. But uh, one one last thing I, I, I want to touch on. I mean the penalties are obviously horrendous, but they were also committed by a bunch of players who probably aren't going to be on the 53 man roster. So I don't know that we we necessarily need to harp on them a whole lot, but yeah, 216 yards is is horrendous Dante Johnson's penalty at the end that nearly put the Cowboys in range of of scoring a touchdown as time expired. Also horrendous. Um, I want to talk about the quarterbacks really quick. There's been no separation between Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard, which is fascinating. And it's looking more and more like it's going to make sense to keep both guys um, because you just, you, you, can never be too careful when you have a, when you have a franchise quarterback coming back from an ACL tear. And I I think it's, it's, it's looking like Mullins and Beathard would both make sense to be, to be on this team. And I went into training camp thinking that, okay, it's probably going to be Nick Mullins because he played so well to the end, to end last season. And CJ Beathard has a little bit of trade value because he's a former drafted player um, you know, the 49ers w- will say or will always contend that they had to trade up to get Bethard because another team was hot on his tail. So maybe there are some, you know, there are some other f- front offices elsewhere that would jump at at the chance to, to take Bethard. But Bethard might have value now to the 49ers because... Uh, because of the experience he has, maybe he is developing into a, a, a viable NFL quarterback, somebody who could win you a game in a pinch if you needed to, with a better supporting cast. And I, I think the way Beathard's supporting cast the last two years have played is a little bit underrated in terms of how Bethard's evaluated. A lot of people say, oh, Bethard's terrible, and look what Mullins did. Well, mullins the supporting cast around Mullins did play a lot better than than the supporting cast that Bethard had. Yeah, um, But so let, statistically, let's talk about this for a sec. Nick Mullins completes 11 of 17, 105 yards. They both throw a touchdown and an interception. Bethard completes 13 of 17 for 141 yards. Um, Grant Cohn mentioned this to me in the press box. He was like, yeah, if you take away the two drops that Mullins had, with, including Richie James on, on the first pass play of the game and then later Kendrick Bourne uh, in the second quarter – they're both 13 to 17 probably with right around 141 yards and one touchdown and one interception and it was just like like there's really no differentiating these guys at this point and i just think it's kind of fascinating but I, the the more this happens and the more nobody really sort of distinguishes themselves from the other person the more i think the 49ers are going to keep both guys
2: that's interesting that's very very interesting just based on uh, kind of what we thought going into the preseason. I had both of them as players whose stock went down in that game because neither player was really spectacular, which meant the other had a chance to to s- step in and really take hold of the QB two spot. And neither one did. They were both just kind of really, really underwhelming. Um, like they weren't. Neither were particularly bad. Like it wasn't like that player has to go, like that guy can't play, but right. neither was like, oh, that's the guy, and that that yeah. to me that, a lateral step is a step backwards.
1: Sure, I, I get that. I think I would push back on on the idea a little bit just because you're playing behind just really not a very good offensive line in in the the case for either of those guys, and and we've talked about Kyle Shanahan criticizing the receiving core for not playing well enough. So I think, and and with you know Austin Walter and Brandon Wilds (laughs) carrying carrying the ball, running back, it's really sort of a tough situation for for the running backs or for the quarterbacks to be in. And we asked Kyle Shanahan after watching the tape today how we thought those guys played. And and Shanahan is is usually honest with us. He doesn't have any problem saying this guy didn't play well, and we really need a lot more from him. Or this guy, you know, did play pretty well, and we're happy with it. He was he was overall happy with the way bethard and mullins played given the circumstances save for those two interceptions they each threw so i i think you know just just given the fact that they're surrounded by third string guys i think it was promising for both of them in the context of the receivers also not playing particularly well
2: i've always said when the going gets tough the tough get going so that's what i'm sticking with
1: that's true you know that that's a good way to end this pot we should get going.
2: <laughs> Because the going's (laughs) getting tough and we're getting the heck out of here.
1: Yeah, so it's sort of a unique week coming up because I'm going to go to Denver uh, for these joint practices. I'm not entirely sure that there's going to be enough time for us to record. I'm sure everybody's heard the gigantic news by now that Kyle is starting a new job this week at 95.7 The Game in San Francisco. So he has no idea what his schedule is going to be like. Uh, so we're going to try to put, put out some more content for you guys as soon as we can. Uh, it just might take in a week, so we might have to wait till after this Broncos preseason game next Monday night before you'll get another podcast episode from us. But uh, don't worry, be, we'll, we'll be back going, going twice a week from here on out. It's just a little bit unique with this travel schedule and the fact that Kyle's starting a new job. But we will talk to you guys later. Enjoy preseason week two. I'm sure Kyle Shanahan is really thrilled about it. And we'll talk to you guys then.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality.